0: and thank you for tuning in to IRIS and to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 21st. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's look at the weather forecast from KCRG in Cedar Rapids. It's a quiet start to your Wednesday, but this doesn't last overly long. Snowfall develops and pushes into our area generally after 4 p.m. today. This snow has the potential to be heavy at times throughout the evening commute. Look for snow to continue through midday Thursday at least, with a sharp increase in wind by 6 a.m. tomorrow. Blizzard conditions are still expected here in eastern Iowa, and you are encouraged to take this storm seriously. Totals of 4 to 8 inches still look likely, and with winds gusting to 50 miles per hour, blizzard conditions are a real concern in open areas tomorrow and Friday. Coupled with wind chills as cold as minus 40, anyone stranded in a vehicle puts themselves at high risk. This weekend, the weather stays cold, but at least the wind starts backing off later on Saturday. Be safe. Check the forecast often and keep a lookout for each other as we go into the holiday weekend. Let's look at the articles on the front page of The Courier today. They include... Main Street contract awarded. Residents of Ward 4 want vote to fill seat. New director joins Hearst Center. And we begin with the top story of the day, U.S. braces for blast of cold and snow. This story comes to us from the Associated Press, and the dateline is Kansas City, Missouri. A large swath of U.S. braced for a dangerous mix of sub-zero temperatures howling winds and blizzard conditions scheduled to arrive Wednesday and disrupt plans for millions of holiday travelers. The blast of frigid weather landing on the first day of winter will hammer the Pacific Northwest and northern Rockies before gripping the plains in a deep freeze and blanketing the Midwest with heavy snowfall, forecasters say. By Friday, the Arctic front will push south in the places that don't hold up well in the cold, like the Gulf Coast. Authorities across the country are worried about the potential for power outages and warned people to take precautions to protect the elderly, the homeless, and livestock, and, if possible, to postpone travel. The northernmost regions of the United States could see wind chills approaching 70 degrees below zero, cold enough to leave exposed skin frostbitten, in a matter of minutes. In the Cedar Valley, high temperatures are expected to approach the 20s Wednesday before dropping to near zero Wednesday night, according to the National Weather Service. Snow will fall along with temperatures. The chance of precipitation is 100 percent, with new snow accumulation of three to five inches possible. On Thursday, there is a 50 percent chance of snow, with widespread blowing snow likely mainly after 5 p.m. It will be cloudy and cold with a high near zero and a northwest wind of 20 to 25 miles per hour with gusts as high as 39 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of one to two inches is possible. Thursday night, blowing snow continues with a low around minus 10. Friday will be sunny and cold with a high near minus two and a low around minus eight and blowing snow will continue. Saturday should be sunny and cold with a high near 1 and a low near minus 10. Christmas Day will be sunny with a high near 11. The Iowa State University Athletics Department announced Tuesday morning it had canceled a pair of basketball games scheduled for Wednesday and Thursday due to potential severe weather conditions. The ISU men's Wednesday home game against Omaha and Thursday women's basketball game against Drake were canceled. Neither game will be rescheduled. Fans who had purchased single-game tickets for either game will be issued a refund by the ISU Athletics Ticket Office. Even warm-weather states are preparing for the worst. Texas officials are hoping to avoid a repeat of the February 2021 storm that left millions without power, some for several days. Temperatures were expected to dip near freezing as far south as central Florida by the weekend. The drop in temperatures will be precipitous. In Denver, the high on Wednesday will be around 50 degrees. By Thursday, it is forecast to plummet to around zero. The heaviest snow is expected in Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming, according to the National Weather Service, and frigid wind will be fierce across the country's midsection. Quote, I would not be surprised if there are lots of delays due to wind and also a lot of delays due to snow, said Bob Orovek, lead forecaster for the National Weather Service in College Park, Maryland. Flights nationwide were generally on schedule by midday Tuesday, but not in Seattle. A combination of snow, rain, and low visibility caused nearly 200 flight cancellations at seattle tacoma International Airport on Tuesday morning. Greyhound canceled bus service between Seattle and Spokane, Washington, due to winter weather. Nearly 113 million Americans were expected to travel 50 miles or more from home this holiday season, up 4 percent from last year, but still short of the record 119 million in 2019, according to AAA. Most were planning to travel by car, around 6 percent were planning to fly. Several inches of snow were expected from Chicago through the Great Lakes region by Friday. Snow also was forecast in the lower Midwest. With the storm approaching, Delta American, United, and Southwest Airlines said they were waiving change fees for people traveling through affected airports. The National Weather Service predicted wind chill levels in Montana that could approach sixty degrees below zero by Thursday morning. Almost impossibly, the forecast was even worse for parts of Wyoming. The 1,500-resident town of Lusk could see wind chills of 70 degrees below zero. Carina Jones's family raises about 400 head of cattle in north-central Nebraska, near Broken Bow, where wind chills as low as 50 below zero are expected Thursday and Friday mornings. She said Nebraska cattle ranchers are a hardy bunch, but the bitter cold is rough. Ranchers lie awake at night, praying that you did everything you could do for your livestock, Jones said. In Kansas, where up to four inches of snow is expected to accompany wind chills dipping to 40 degrees below zero, Sean Tiffany runs three feedlots with about 35,000 cattle combined. He's worried about keeping 40 employees safe and warm. Quote, Every conversation I've had for the last four days has consisted of, are you prepared and are you ready? Everybody is taking it very seriously, Tiffany said. In Texas, where the temperature is expected to drop to around 11 degrees, the state's power grid will be put to the test once again. A historic freeze in February 2021 led to one of the biggest power outages in U.S. history, knocking out electricity to 4 million customers in Texas, and leading to hundreds of deaths. In Jackson, Mississippi, where dangerously cold weather is expected by the weekend, all eyes are on the capital city's troubled water system. A cold snap in 2021 left thousands of people without running water after pipes froze, and Mayor Gauki Antar Lumumba said Monday that the water distribution system remains a, quote, huge vulnerability. Our next story was filed by Andy Malone, titled, Main Street Contract Awarded, $30 million Main Street Reconstruction Project Awarded by Split Cedar Falls Council. Dateline is Cedar Falls. The lack of bids and high construction costs were not enough to halt the contract award for the reconstruction of Main Street. The City Council debated the merits of waiting versus moving forward for nearly an hour. But ultimately, voted four to three in favor of the 29.99 million dollar bid of Peterson Contractors Incorporated, the only firm to submit a proposal. The dissenters were councilors Dave Sires, Darrell Cruz, and Dustin Ganfield. The work is expected to begin in the spring and last two to three years. Under the plans, Main Street will go from a four to a three lane corridor with travel lanes in each direction and a center turn lane from 6th Street to just north of University Avenue. The signalized intersections at 12th and 18th Streets and Searley Boulevard will also be converted to single-lane roundabouts. The engineering estimate had been $21.38 million, but those in favor of approval argued costs weren't guaranteed to drop in the near future. Additionally, They'll be leaving behind several million dollars of grant funding if construction were delayed, as well as potentially adding more expenses associated with easements and design work. it's a tough pill to swallow, but putting off and putting off and putting off is a tough pill to swallow too, said Councilor Jill Schultz. It wouldn't have been the first time that the project was postponed. That alone was enough to sway Counselor Susan DeBur, who, more often than not, is hesitant about significant costs and hasn't been a fan of reconstruction involving roundabouts. Quote, we did put this off once before, in like 2000 or 2001, when it was talked about redoing Main Street, and instead we did the overlay, said DeBur. Quote, we already know that if we don't do this now, we probably can't get those grants back. And if we don't get this ratified by the end of this year, before January 1st, Peterson's bid is going to be void, she added. Almost half the cost is underground infrastructure. Public Works Director Chafe Schrage specifically noted that the sanitary sewer and water mains are both in terrible condition at more than 100 years old. Quote, no matter what the roadway configuration is on top, those all need to be replaced, said Schrage. If the city were to wait, the risk of a major emergency failure grows. That could put the contractor in a position to drive up the costs for a short term fix. Quote, we are 100% at the mercy of the contractor. It's an emergency repair, and you're going to pay the cost to fix it, said Schrage. But Sires expressed confidence in the relining of the sewer lines, doubted the chances of an emergency, and was in favor of halting the project costing a tremendous amount. Quote, When those guys do their job, municipal pipe tool, they do an excellent job, and that's why they reline pipe, he said. The city's finance division freed up local options, tax, and street construction funds by delaying some projects to pay the difference. The labor shortage and materials are said to be responsible for higher costs and lack of bids. But those against approval Were projecting costs eventually would come down, and that other funding options would become available to replace the forfeited ones. Quote, being a business analyst for 37 years, I've seen skyrocketed pricing, stock market, farmland, businesses, gold, and commodities, said Cruz. Quote, it all balances out and comes back to earth. I do not believe this is going to be a parabolic increase in prices into the future, unquote. The next story is titled, New Director Joins Hearst Center. Corey Hurlis trades Texas hospitality for Midwestern Nice as new director at Hearst Center. Story filed by Melody Parker, and the dateline is Cedar Falls. Travelers bustle through terminals at the Austin Bergstrom International Airport in Austin, Texas, on moving sidewalks past a profusion of art. For six years, Corey Hurlis was responsible for the airport's award-winning permanent art displays and changing exhibits as cultural arts and education manager. Now, her list can watch from her office window as passersby stroll down the sidewalk at a more leisurely pace, if only she had time to spare. As the new cultural program supervisor or executive director at the Hearst Center for the Arts, she's busy learning about the center's programming permanent collection and upcoming exhibitions, as well as getting to know the staff and community. After more than a decade, Hurlis was ready to trade Texas hospitality for a little Midwestern nice, she said. Hurless grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and wanted to return to the Midwest. Quote, my family's getting older, so this puts me a lot closer to home. I was hungry for a smaller city. I wasn't actively looking for change, but then I saw an online ad for this job. Quote, it was the right-sized city and being home to the University of Northern Iowa and the cultural life and support for the arts in Cedar Valley were big draws. I made the jump, unquote. Herless arrived at the Hearst in September. She replaced Heather Skeens, who left in April after accepting a position as Development and Operations Director with the Waterloo Youth Art Team. Perlis has been impressed by the Hearst Center's wide variety of programming. The quality of its permanent collection, which includes works by Marjorie Nunn, Gary Kelly, John Page, Mauricio Lanaski, Dwayne Slick, and other local and regional artists, and, in particular, the center staff. Quote, I'm so impressed with the people who work here and their dedication. That actually drew me more than the facility itself. Hurlis said, quote, this is a really great organization, and anything I can do to praise what the staff does here, I love to do. The 2023 exhibition schedule was set before Hurlis accepted the job, and quote, there are no major fires to put out, so she has resisted, quote, getting my fingers into every single thing going on, unquote. Instead, Hurlis has taken time to listen to staff ideas and suggestions on topics ranging from collaborations to more innovative ways to present programming. Quote, as a leader, I want to be balanced. From my own personal experience, I know it's important to be heard and how it feels to have pride in your work, to have your mind engaged, your ideas respected, and some autonomy and room to grow, explained Hurlis, who received her bachelor's degree in art history from Grand Valley State University and her Master of Arts in History and Museum Studies from Eastern Illinois University. She also studied abroad at the University of Oslo in Norway. Previously, she served as a registrar assistant and project coordinator at the Tarbell Arts Center in Charleston, Illinois, as a contract archival technician at the Association for Preservation Technology in Springfield, Illinois, and Curator of Collections and Exhibitions at Pierce Museum at Navarro College in in Corsicana, Texas. While Cultural Arts and Education major at Austin's airport, Hurlis was the leader behind the airport's award-winning Jetstream Music Festival during the pandemic. Hurlis also established the airport's reputation for putting audacious museum-quality artwork on display. She oversaw the Sky Portal's permanent collection, as well as changing exhibits. Quote, we received more visitors than the Louvre, she noted. For example, more than 17 million people passed through Austin's terminals and viewed the free exhibits in 2019. That same year, 9.6 million visitors paid to view art at the Louvre Museum in Paris, at the Hearst, one of the first logical changes Hurlis has made is relocating staff from the basement to the main floor, a move designed to foster more active collaboration. She is also concentrating on strategic planning. Quote, it's been a challenge for art centers and museums post-COVID. We are thinking about ways to re-engage the audience and bring them back to the Hearst. And from a preservation standpoint, the permanent collection has needs. Hurlis added. Our next story was written by Maria Cooper. Ward 4 residents file petition to fill soon-to-be-vacant council seat. Dateline Waterloo. Residents of Ward 4 filed a petition for a special election to fill the seat for the representative on the city council. Mayor Quentin Hart announced the petition had been received Monday before the council was set to approve filling Jerome Amos's seat by appointment. The resolution was postponed until January 3rd. Right now, we need to take a look at the validity and have further conversation with the county auditor to take a look at time frames, Hart said during the meeting. He could not comment on how many signatures were on the petition, saying it had been submitted to his office earlier in the day. Residents needed to gather at least 71 signatures for a special election to occur. The earliest date a special election could happen is February 7th. If there's a runoff, it could take place four weeks later, on March 7th, at the earliest. Quote, the challenge is that we have an election in November, Hart said. We would have a special election in February or March, and then we turn around and have another election several months later, unquote. Each election would cost $7,500. In November, Amos was elected to the legislature as the representative for Iowa House District 62. He ran on a post. He handed in his council resignation on November 18th with an effective date of January 4th. Previously, all of the city councilors agreed in a work session on appointing someone to the Ward 4 seat. An appointment would have been made after seeking applicants for the position. The council had planned for applications be in the city clerk's office by early January, followed by interviews with an appointment approved by the middle of March. Now we turn the page to the Cedar Valley section. A.B. Schrader sharing her heart and generosity with cardiac patients and Alzheimer's research. Story filed by Holly Hudson Hill. Dateline Waterloo. Abby Schrader, 37, knew from a young age that she wanted to be a nurse the Dunkerton High School graduate, went on to earn a bachelor's degree in nursing from the University of Iowa. She then worked full-time at Allen Hospital Intensive Care and post-anesthesia care units while simultaneously working on her master's degree. She graduated in 2009. Quote, For the majority of my career, I was trained and worked under Dr. Kalena Sundrum, Schrader said. I work at Cedar Valley Medical Specialists with UnityPoint Cardiology. I've been a nurse practitioner there for 14 years, unquote. Schrader works at the main office on Donald Street in Waterloo and also travels to outreach clinics in Waverly, Grundy Center, and West Union. Quote, I care for patients with all types of heart disease, vascular diseases such as blockages and aneurysms, and help facilitate surgeries, unquote quote my aunt my dad's sister jan fueling was a head nurse in a cardiac catheterization lab she encouraged me through my whole nursing education and career quote she had such a passion for cardiac nursing she was the first person i told when i passed my boards she always encouraged me and helped me find that passion for cardiology she's been pretty amazing throughout my life schrader was recently awarded the Terry Thomas Clinical Practice Award by the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association. The award recognizes and encourages excellence in the clinical practice of cardiovascular prevention by nurses and was presented at the PCNA's annual symposium in March. Quote, it was amazing event to go to, Schrader said. All the educational material and connecting with other nurses those connections led to ways we can improve our practice. As committed as Schrader is to her patients and her career, she is equally devoted to Battle for Betsy, a nonprofit organization her family started to raise funds and awareness for Alzheimer's research. Schrader's mother, Betsy McDougall, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at the age of 58. She passed away in October 2021. Quote, it is very prevalent in the family, Schrader said. Of the 11 children in my mother's family, five of them have been diagnosed or have died from Alzheimer's. Quote, my mother donated her brain to Iowa City for research in hopes of finding that clear genetic marker. Quote, it is really an awful disease to watch, Schrader said. When I look back, the day my mom died was the hardest day of my life. I was mad. I needed to find a way to channel that frustration and anger. Battle for Betsy gave me an outlet to find something positive out of such a terrible experience. Quote, Battle for Betsy is made up of close family members and friends of mine and my parents. They knew my mom and what an amazing person she was, unquote. The organization raises funds through golf tournaments, silent auctions, t-shirt sales, and more in conjunction with the Alzheimer's Association's, quote, the longest day, unquote. According to the Association's website, the longest day is the day with the most light, the summer solstice. On June 21st. people from across the world will fight the darkness of Alzheimer's through a fundraising activity of their choice, unquote. In the 2020 year Battle for Betsy was established, the organization raised more than $10,000 $10,000 for Alzheimer's Association. It was the third-largest total raised in Iowa and the 34th largest total in the nation. In 2021, more than $40,000 was raised, the largest amount in the state and the 25th largest worldwide. Another 40000 was raised this year. Quote, it was an amazing and humbling experience, Schrader said. Quote, it was a truly team effort, I don't think I could ever thank them enough, unquote. Schrader also finds time to dedicate to her children's pursuits. Quote, I am a soccer mom, she said. Until recently, she was a soccer coach for both of her kids, Mac, 12, and Maggie, age 10, and is still coaching her daughter's softball team. Dan McDougall nominated his daughter for the 20 under 40 honors. Quote, her desire to help her heart patients and fund Alzheimer's research is derived from commitment to health care and the belief in quality of life for everyone, McDouble said. She's the epitome of her mother, in her likeness and generosity of her time for family, friends, and beliefs. She shares her grandmother's grit and determination in caring for those less fortunate and giving back to the community. Yet she displays her own courage and fortitude to achieve success which, I believe, makes her a perfect candidate for the 20 under 40 in the Cedar Valley, Quote, that's my dad, she said. I'm pretty fortunate to have him. He's been a rock for me. Quote, I was very surprised and humbled, Schrader said, about receiving 20 under 40 honors. I know there are a lot of really amazing people who live and work in the Cedar Valley and do such amazing things for their communities and for the people in their communities. Quote, honestly, my own colleagues, they all provide such amazing care for their patients. Each and every one of them would be so deserving. Quote, they have taught me what it means to be part of a team. You rely on one another to achieve the best outcomes. You can't do that without support. It's like that in life as well. You aren't going to get far in life without people holding you up and pushing you forward, unquote. Our next story was written by Jeff Reinitz, old wine mother sentenced in 2020 Jessup car crash that killed her son, Dateline Independence. Grandmothers of a nine-year-old boy killed in a 2020 crash took aim at the driver responsible for the collision, the boy's mother, as she was sentenced to prison on Tuesday. Quote, you chose drugs over your own kids, Penny Reeves told Robin Jane Reeves, as Robin pleaded to charges of vehicular homicide and serious injury by vehicle in Buchanan County District Court, Quote, I hope you never have a chance to hurt another soul ever again, to ever kill anyone ever again. You never once cared. You made a terrible mom and a terrible person. And I hope you spend a lot of time in prison and think about the things you've done, Penny Reeves said. Authorities, said Robin Reeves was driving a Dodge Challenger that crashed into a culvert outside of Jessup around 12.05 a.m. on July 19, 2020. Nine-year-old Ace Allen Reeves died, and his six-year-old brother was injured. It was the second tragedy for the family in less than a year. Ace's father, 30-year-old Zachary Reeves, took his own life in January 2020, just months before the fatal crash according to relatives. Almost a year after the collision, Robin Reeves was arrested. Investigators used airbag data to determine the car was traveling over the speed limit. Tests also revealed Robin Reeves had amphetamine and methamphetamine in her blood, and a remnant of marijuana cigarette was found in the vehicle's front cup holder. Grandmother Barbara Reeves told Robin she hopes she remains in prison until her surviving children grow up. Quote, you decided your children were less important than your boyfriend and getting high. You claimed you loved your children, but you and your boyfriend chose to use meth and then endangered these beautiful, beautiful, innocent lives by putting them in a vehicle with you, Barbara Reeves said. Robin Reeves, 38 of Olwine, wept but declined to comment to the court during the sentencing hearing. Under the plea agreement with prosecutors, Robin Reeves was sentenced to up to 30 years in prison, 25 for vehicular homicide, added to five years for serious injury by vehicle. She was also ordered to pay $150,000 to Ace's estate. Under the arrangement, prosecutors dropped charges of child endangerment causing death and child endangerment causing serious injury. And now, listeners, We want to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 21st on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now, let's turn to today's obituaries. Dyersville Ronald F. Radloff, 65, of Dyersville, Iowa, died on Monday, December 19, 2022, of aggressive liver cancer at Mercy One Hospital in Dubuque, Iowa, surrounded by his family. Visitation for Ron will be held from 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock p.m. on Thursday, December 22, 2022, at Rife Funeral Home in Dyersville, Iowa where a rosary will be held at 3.30 p.m., and a vigil service will be held at 7.30 p.m. Mass of Christian Burial for Ron will be held at 10 o'clock a.m. on Friday, December 23, 2022, at the Basilica of St. Francis Xavier in Dyersville, Iowa, with the Most Reverend Michael Jackals presiding and Reverend Nicholas Radloff and priests of the Archdiocese of Dubuque concelebrating. Burial will follow in Calvary Cemetery in Cascade, Iowa. Ron was born on January 7, 1957, in Monticello, Iowa, the son of Nicholas C. and Marion M. Schmackenmall Radloff. He attended the former Aquin High School in Cascade, Iowa. On July thirty first, 1981, He was united in marriage to Mary Herrick at St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church in Independence, Iowa. He worked at the former commuter industries in Cascade, Iowa until 1984 when he joined Farm Bureau Financial Services as an insurance agent in Dubuque County. Ron moved to Charles City in 1987 as a Farm Bureau manager and moved to Dyersville in 1997 as an agent retiring in 2019 he also greatly enjoyed his work at radloff sales company selling generators and trailers he was a member of the basilica of saint francis xavier parish in dyersville iowa he previously served as the cascade fire department the cascade jc's and the cascade city council he was a member of the knights of columbus council number 1734 He was a loving husband, dedicated father, doting grandfather, and a faithful Catholic. Memorials may be directed to Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Dubuque or the Dubuque-Jackson County's Habitat for Humanity, or memorials may be sent to Rife Funeral Home, Attention Ronald Radloff Family, Post Office 271, Dyersville, Iowa, 52040. Online condolences may be sent to the family at www.RifeFuneralHomeInc.com. Next, Bernadette Tegler, aged 98, passed away peacefully at Bethany Riverside Mem- Memory Care in La Crosse, Wisconsin, on December 16, 2022. Her funeral mass, officiated by Father Ben, will be held on Wednesday, December 21, 2022 at 11 a.m. at St. Athanasius Catholic Church in Jessup, Iowa, with a visitation one hour prior to the Mass at the Church. Her full obituary is online at C-O-U-L-E-E Cremation dot C-O-M. Next, Raymond Florence G. Dittmer, 92, of rural Waterloo, Iowa, died Saturday, December 17, 2022, at Unity Point Allen Memorial Hospital in Waterloo. Funeral services for Florence will be at 10.30 a.m. Thursday, December 29, 2022, at Immaculate Conception Catholic Church in Gilbertville, Iowa. Burial will be at St. Joseph Catholic Cemetery in Raymond, Iowa. Public visitation will be from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday. December 28, 2022, at the White Funeral Home in Jessup, Iowa. The vigil service will be at 3 o'clock p.m. Visitation will continue for an hour before services Thursday at the church. Memorials may be directed to the Unity Point Hospice. Online condolences may be posted at www.white-mounthome.com. White Funeral Home in Jessup, Iowa is in charge of arrangements. Next, the Courier lists five death notices here. Donald D., known as Donnie Griffith, 66, died Saturday, December 17, 2022, at the Pillar of Cedar Valley in Waterloo. Arrangements are with Locke Funeral Home at Tower Park. Lori Ann Jackson, 55, of Waterloo, died Monday, December 19, 2022, at the Mayo Clinic Methodist Campus. Arrangements for Lori are with Dahl Van Hoof Schuof Funeral Home. Marjorie Jean Kowalski, 88, of LaPorte City, died Friday, December 16, 2022, at Mercy One ICU in West Des Moines. Arrangements are with Locke in LaPorte City. Ronald N. Schultz, 88, of Hansel, died Saturday, December 17, 2022, at the Sheffield Care Center. Arrangements are with Council Woodley Funeral Home in Hampton. And Jack T. Umhofer, 78, of Independence, died Sunday, December 18, 2022, at the Buchanan County Health Center in Independence. Arrangements are being made with White Funeral Home of Independence. That's all of the obituaries. Now let's turn to the opinion section. This editorial comes to us From the Storm Lake Times pilot, and it was written by Randy Evans. His column is titled Stray Thoughts. If we aren't careful, we could fall on this slippery slope. Few people like being told what they must do. Lori Smith is one of them. The suburban Denver, Colorado business owner, a devout Christian, builds websites for customers. She wants to expand her business and begin building websites for couples who are planning weddings. But she is adamant that she does not want to be forced to build websites for same-sex couples. Doing so, she says, would violate her faith, which does not allow her to celebrate same-sex marriages. For more than an hour last week, the U.S. Supreme Court listened to arguments for and against the position staked out by Smith, the proprietor of 303 Creative LLC. The court's decision is not expected until sometime in the first half of 2023. An old attorney friend once made the memorable legal observation quote, I never had a client listen himself into trouble, but I've had many who talk themselves into trouble. Unquote. He also reminded me that only a fool predicts how judges or juries will decide a case. That wisdom also applies to predicting a U.S. Supreme Court decision. But it does not take a wizard to foresee that the 303 creative case presents the justices with a legal slippery slope if they rule in favor of Lori Smith. The court has the potential to drag our country back 75 years before Congress and the courts made it clear there is no place for discrimination in the United States. David Cole, Legal Director for the American Civil Liberties Union, told the New York Times recently, quote, if 303 Creative wins here, we will live in a world in which any business that has an expressive service can put up a sign that says, women not served, Jews not served, black people not served, and claim a First Amendment right to do so, unquote. He added, quote, I don't think any of us wants to live in that world and I don't think the First Amendment requires us to live in that world, unquote. In a friend of the court brief to the Supreme Court, the ACLU defended Colorado's anti-discrimination law. Cole described the contours of the potential slippery slope this way, quote, If 303 Creative is correct, could a bakery that opposed celebrating Black families refuse to sell a birthday cake to a Black mother? Could an architecture firm that Serves the public, refused to design homes for Muslims because it opposes their religion. Could a test preparation business that objected to the number of Asians in elite colleges turn away Asian students? Could a restaurateur opposed to mixed marriage put up a sign in the window saying "No interracial or interfaith couples served"? The creative process involved in building websites does not excuse Lori Smith from complying with the Colorado law. Likewise, other businesses with expressive goods and services are not allowed to discriminate in their sales to the public either. Not theaters, jewelry design shops, hair salons, interior decorators, landscape design companies, or similar businesses. And therein is the problem Smith creates by asserting that her First Amendment free speech right allows her to refuse to serve certain customers who knock on the door of her design business. Colorado's anti-discrimination law does not require her to post signs in support of same-sex marriage. It only requires her to build websites for all couples planning weddings, regardless of a couple's gender or race. Every state has similar anti-discrimination laws. In some states, these were a product of the turbulent, 1950s and 1960s, when blacks were prohibited from attending schools with white students, and when blacks could not sit in certain bus seats or eat at certain lunch counter seats. They could not use whites only drinking fountains or restrooms. By opening the door for businesses to serve some customers but refuse others, the Supreme Court has the potential to take us back to these terrible times of government sanctioned discrimination. The ACLU legal brief illustrates the dilemma facing the Supreme Court by pointing to famed portrait photographer Annie Leibovitz. She does not offer her photo services to the public at large. Instead, she picks and chooses her subjects. By contrast, J.C. Penny Portrait Studios welcomes any member of the public to sit for portraits. But the studios cannot refuse to take photos of customers because they are female or male, Jewish or Catholic, black or Asian, heterosexual or gay. The brief offers another example to help the justices grasp the issue. Under the Colorado law, a store that sells Christmas ornaments need not sell Hanukkah products, but such a store could not refuse to sell its Christmas ornaments to Jewish customers. The ACLU said 303 Creative cannot get around the law's requirement by describing its service as website design for opposite-sex weddings. Just as it could not offer website design for white people's weddings, the ACLU added, quote, if a business has to know who a service is for to decide whether to sell it, its decision is not about the content of the product, but about the identity of the customer, unquote. That goes against what is right and proper. Randy Evans is the executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council and a longtime journalist and editor in Iowa. This next editorial comes to us from the New York Times. A diminished Trump meets a damning narrative, filed by Maggie Haberman. As the summer and the House January 6 committee's hearings began, former President Donald J. Trump was still a towering figure in Republican politics able to pick winners in primary contests and force candidates to submit to a litmus test of denialism about his loss in the 2020 election. Six months later, Mr. Trump is significantly diminished, a shrunken presence on the political landscape. His fade is partly a function of his own missteps and miscalculations in recent months, but it is also a product of the voluminous evidence Assembled by the House Committee, and its ability to tell the story of his efforts to overturn the election in a compelling and accessible way. In ways both raw and easily digested, and with an eye for vivid detail, the Committee spooled out the episodic narrative of a President who was told repeatedly he had lost and that his claims of fraud were fanciful. But Mr. Trump continued pushing them anyway plotted to reverse the outcome, stoked the fury of his supporters, summoned them to Washington, and then stood by as the violence played out. It was a turnabout in the roles for a president who rose first to prominence and then to the White House on the basis of his feel for how to project himself on television. Guided by a veteran television executive, the committee sprinkled the story with moments that stayed in the public consciousness from Mr. Trump throwing his lunch in anger against the wall of the dining room just off the Oval Office, to a claim that he lunged at a Secret Service agent driving his car when he was denied his desire to join his supporters at the Capitol. On Monday, the second anniversary of Mr. Trump's Twitter post urging his followers to come to Washington to protest his loss, promising, quote, it will be wild. The committee wrapped up its case by lending the weight of the House to calls for Mr. Trump to be held criminally liable for his actions and making the case that he should never again be allowed to hold power. no man who would behave that way at that moment can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again, said Representative Liz Cheney, the Wyoming Republican who served as the committee's vice chairwoman, referring to Mr. Trump's unwillingness to intervene to stop the violence on January 6, 2021. Quote, he's unfit for office, unquote. To emphasize that point, the committee did something Congress had never done before. It referred a former president to the Justice Department for criminal prosecution, a largely symbolic step but one that only added to the sense that Mr. Trump is starting his 2024 presidential campaign under a number of very dark legal clouds. Federal prosecutors are investigating not only Mr. Trump's efforts to thwart the results of the election, but also his mishandling of presidential records and classified material that he took with him when he left the White House. A prosecutor in Georgia is barreling ahead with an investigation of his efforts to reverse his election loss in that state, and his company, the Trump Organization, was convicted in New York this month of tax fraud. Whether Mr. Trump's legal woes and political missteps will keep him from winning his party's nomination again is another matter. Mr. Trump still has a durable base of support within the party, though just how large it is at this point Is up for debate after a handful of public polls have shown more Republican voters backing Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida as an alternative. Other potential candidates are also watching carefully, weighing their chances if they get into a race with a weakened Mr. Trump. To some, the talk of Mr. Trump's current fortunes is like a movie they've seen before, one in which the lead figure is left for dead only to rise again. there's still a lot of people that support Donald Trump. There's just no question about that, said Rob Gleason, the former chairman of the Pennsylvania Republican Party. He pointed to stories that have dominated headlines, such as the number of Republicans whom Mr. Trump backed who lost their races, that he said simply have not seeped into the consciousness of his supporters. Quote, we assume people know too much, he said they're not following a lot of this stuff, unquote. Indeed, some Republicans said privately that the House Select Committee's criminal referrals could serve to galvanize Mr. Trump's supporters behind him, as was the case for a short time after the FBI searched his club Mar-a-Lago in August looking for additional classified documents. Some other Republicans are more skeptical. Quote, I don't think that anything can save Donald Trump, said former Representative Carlos Corbello, Republican of Florida. Quote, he's decidedly on the path to irrelevance. He reduces himself by the day, Unquote. The rally speeches Mr. Trump gave at events during the midterm elections and his 2024 campaign announcement were largely centered on his grievances about 2020 or the investigations into his conduct, a formulation that some Republicans say is increasingly out of step with voters. Quote, this time is different, Mr. Cabello said, adding that six years ago, Mr. Trump was new and interesting, and that people were curious about what kind of leader he would be. Now Donald Trump is old, predictable, obviously petty, unquote. Some of the candidates who most closely identified with Mr. Trump's false claims about the 2020 election performed poorly in the midterm elections, and Republicans barely captured a House majority, despite a sitting Democratic president whose approval rating has been depressed. Quote, I think he's been a diminishing figure for some time, said former Representative Charlie Dent, a Republican of Pennsylvania and a longtime critic of Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump insisted on declaring 2024 presidential campaign a week after the midterms, against the advice of nearly all his aides and allies, delivering a lackluster speech he read with minimal emotions from a teleprompter. He has held no public political events in the nearly five weeks since. Instead, he has gotten attention for hosting a dinner at his members-only club and home in Florida with a Holocaust denier and Kanye West, the rap artist, who has made a rapid descent into peddling anti-Semitism for many members of a party that would like to recover from three bruising election cycles. Mr. Trump has never felt more like a product of the past. Quote, ironically, this is not too different from a reality TV series that's run its course, Mr. Corbello said. Quote, and people are just kind of over it, even his supporters, unquote. Now let's turn to the sports page and we begin reading the story titled, You and I Receives One Million Dollar Gift. You and I Reports One Million Dollar Gift for Unidome Renovations. This story was filed by courier staff. Dateline Cedar Falls, a member of the powerhouse early 1990s Panther football team, has pledged a seven figure gift to renew the Unidome for the next generation. While at the University of Northern Iowa, Brad Baumler, a 1993 graduate, played an integral role in the Panther linebacker corps, including the 1992 squad that finished with a 12-2 and record, according to a press release from UNI Sports Information. Since graduating with a degree in industrial technology, Baumler, along with his wife Mary Lynn, have invested $1 million to show their support for Panther student-athletes. the Unidome is symbolic of the university itself, said Baumler. When you think about UNI, you think about that dome, Quote, our facilities at UNI need to be the best, he concluded, and it starts out with a major campaign like this to help set the stage for the future. We need to get this project done and moving. It's time. Unquote. Baumler added that his first memory of the Unidome is competing in the Iowa High School Athletics Association playoffs Quote, as a kid, that's something you always look forward to was making it to the dome. He said, Quote, "Words cannot express my gratitude and excitement for the gift from Brad and Mary Lynn. said you and I head football coach Mark Farley. Quote, this gift is a representation of what UNI football stands for. Brad epitomizes what drive, determination, and a work ethic can achieve. Quote, as a linebacker for UNI, he represented every characteristic that we want UNI football to represent. He leads through his actions and believes in the dream of being the best. He built his company the same way he played linebacker, always tough, always honest, and always putting the team first, unquote. Baumler is president of the commercial and residential paving company Concrete Technologies Incorporated, based in the Des Moines area. He and Mary Lynn have generously supported Panther football, including the Van G. Miller Family Charitable Foundation meeting room that kicked off the Unidome renovation campaign. In recognition of the Baumler's gift, a premier space in the Unidome will be named in the family's honor. Quote, it's such a great overwhelming feeling when it's just so loud in the Dome, Mary Lynn said, and the players can look up in the stands and see all their family and friends cheering them on, Unquote. The Baumler's gift supports a three-phased, $50 million renovation of the Unidome. Included in the first phase of renovations is replacing the Unidome's nearly 25-year-old fabric roof reconstructing the west entrance and concourse, creating new and increased restrooms and providing new and expanded suites. Phase 1 is estimated at $20 million, with over half of the goal already raised. Next, we have a story filed by Jeff Reinitz, sex offender sentenced to prison for failing to register Cedar Falls address. Dateline Cedar Falls. A Texas state offender found living in Cedar Falls earlier this year, has been sentenced to federal prison for failing to register. Judge C.J. Williams sentenced 61-year-old Robert Lee Metz to two and a half years in prison on December 14th in U.S. District Court in Cedar Rapids. Following prison, Metz will be on supervised release for five years. Authorities said Metz, formerly of Austin, was required to register as a sex offender because of a 1993 conviction for indecency with a child and a 2012 child pornography possession charge in 2012, both in Texas. He moved to Iowa in April 2021, and court records indicate he used an address for a business on University Avenue in Cedar Falls, but he never notified officials to register as a sex offender. Then, in March 2022, he was involved in a crash at Laporte Road and San Marnon Drive in Waterloo, and he allegedly drove away without contacting police. He was later cited for leaving the scene. A federal grand jury indicted him for failure to register as a sex offender in May of 2022, and he pleaded guilty in July of 2022. And now, friends, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 21st. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to Your Iris, Iowa's first and only radio reading service.